One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A rational fear contains strong cross-language and traces of mass. FBI Radio recommends listening by an immature audience. Tonight, Vladimir Putin praises Russian troops after peacefully taking over Crimea, saying it was better than Sochi because no one died and Russia won something. And Facebook buys virtual reality company company Oculus Rift, allowing users the most realistic way to see the kids of friends they virtually hate in real life. And later, those pesky kids from Newtown High School join us. We ask them the tough questions like, how dare you ask questions? That's tonight on Irrational Fear! Tonight, we are coming to you live from Giant Dwarf in Redfern on FBI Radio across Sydney and around the world on FBIRadio.com. This is Irrational Fear, the show that Malcolm Turnbull recommends you move suburbs to avoid. And now, let's meet the fear mongers for tonight. She's a comedian, turned journalist, turned comedian, turned part-time racist. Alex Lee, what will you turn into next? Well done. I have to wait until the efficiency review will let the ABC employ me as a full-time racist. Right, very good. A rock star who bridges the divide of art versus science, Dan McNamee. You are about to shift Parliament into reverse. Why? Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, I figure the more laws they make, the worse things get. So, among other things, I'm attempting to build a functioning time machine. <laughs> Very good. She's broadcaster, author, mo- uh, mother, and a bullshit cutter, Gretel Colleen. What have you observed from the lofty heights of your high horse? Okay, the older I get, the dumber everyone else is getting. It's, uh, I'm too old to change, so I'm going to make everyone else do it. Excellent. And he's one of Sydney's best comedians and improvisers, but Pat McGee is not so sure about space jumping with social media. Yeah, I only agreed to do this so I could get my blue tick on Twitter. <laughs> this is Irrational Fear, the show where bigots have the right to remain silent. Yay! Your fear is rational. Well, hear ye, hear ye. My lords, my ladies and my gentlemen, the Prime Minister is bringing back the Imperial Honour System. Yes, the archaic titles of knighting and damehoodification are back. 
and they'll be offered to people who've served their country, which is great news for the jousting sector. They've been struggling, those guys. Um, <laughs> but not everyone is crying, crying, yay, verily. No, when asked if he'd accept a knighthood, John Howard said he wouldn't because he found the whole palaver somewhat anachronistic. <laughs> When Honest John says that you're stuck in the past, tell your servants to take the rest of the afternoon off because the world is about to end. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I actually miss John Howard. Uh, at least he told us what boat people were up to and, and even things they weren't. And uh, that's the nice thing about John. Look, and at least John Howard, all he wanted to do was take us back to 1950. Tony Abbott seems he wants to take us back to 50. Um, <laughs> Oh, look at you. Gee, you move from a venue with lockout laws to Redfern and all of a sudden the demographic changes. <laughs> now, social media was quick to point out the PM's hypocrisy, rapidly finding a Daily Telegraph story from December where Abbott ruled out introducing knights and dames. The article was thrown back into internet circulation so much that it reached the fourth most popular story on their website on Wednesday. A story that shows Tony Abbott to be hypocritical, popular, on a News Corp website? Miranda Kerr must have slept in that day. Uh, <laughs> by Thursday, the article was deleted from the Daily Telegraph's website. Now, it's really important here to not jump to conclusions. They're not reinforcing a coalition bias. No, they're just showing the ABC how to be efficient, getting rid of old news to make way for new news like this. Look, it's a giant rat in Sweden. Look, my goodness. Actually, if you tilt your head, it kind of looks like Peter Slipper photoshopped. But... Uh... So you can never trust the Telegraph, can you? Now, look, after the internet made a fuss with the missing article, the Daily Telegraph found the article and put it back up, which probably marks the first time in history that the people of the left actually wanted their news from the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> uh, so we put our heads together around here just to figure out who would be great on an Abbott roundtable. Uh, first up, we have Barnaby Joyce as Sir Loin. Um, <laughs> George Pell as Sir Mon. Uh, Scott Morrison, well, he'd be great as surveillance uh, <laughs> or suppress, more likely, uh, probably. Look, if he got his $20 million, Arthur Sinodinus, he probably would have been King Arthur, but instead he'll just have to settle, settle for uh, Sir Circumstantial. Um, Craig Thompson would be Sir Charge. Clive would be Circumference. <laughs> if next week's budget looks good, hockey would be Surplus. <laughs> and just like the cabinet, this round table only has one dame, Sergrid Thornton. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Prime Minister himself, well, surely he'd get a knighthood. Yes, uh, a surpository. Uh, <laughs> actually. Now, team, have we missed any knights? Who else should be added to the round table? Uh, Pat? Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, I think certainly given uh, recent events in Parliament, uh, we could get Bronwyn Bishop in as uh, Dame monstrably unfit for her position. <laughs> uh, it's a bit clunky, but it works. <laughs> uh, Gretel, do you have any, do you have any ideas? What? All right, look, it's a bit left to feel, but what about the animals on the coat of arms? <laughs> what about them? Well, They're... don't you think they should be like Sir Kangaroo and... Dame Emu? <laughs> They've been serving their country for They've a long been time. Serving Absolutely. Their yeah, and their and meat is so delicious. That's I what's great about a coat of arms. <laughs> I don't like this ridiculous thing of four a year. Why not? Well, it's just, don't you think it's like school and you've got prefect? Don't you feel like you're at school when Abbott's in power? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't like the four. Who do you think? Dan, what do you think? 
four nights a year, is that what they says? Yeah, it's limited. Oh. So we only have four could, exceptional people. Oh, wow. It could be a lottery, like you could do, you know, or scratchies. That would be good, wouldn't I'm it? I'm always a favour of the wild card. <laughs> the I wild card? Just everybody nominate someone and pull them out of a hat. Oh, great. That'll be like the Hunger Games. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> now that's an idea. I think Tony probably, I think he wants one. <laughs> he, he wants that's a why, I mean, like he thought that when they were gone, he thought, oh, I'm never going to get to be a Sir Tony. And I think he should get one. Mm. Alex, who do you think? Do we have anyone missing? I think maybe James Diaz could be the silent knight. <laughs> <laughs> or Abbott himself with his constant nodding. Now, education bar- cuts, uh, climate cuts, axing of gay marriage and science in general. And now, knights and dames. Slowly we're going back in time. What can we expect next from this government, Alex? What, what um, do you I'm thinking travel will be a lot easier once Tony Abbott declares the world is flat. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just want them. I want them to go back to the '90s and bring back just old TV shows. Just <laughs> ship to shore would be great. Uh, although it'd, be, it'd probably just be uh, ship to Indonesian territorial waters. <laughs> so yeah, bring bring back old TV shows. That's a great idea, Dan. What, what's going What's happening? You know, um, what's going to happen next? I think the next thing will probably be uh, capital punishment for drug offenders. Uh, you know, seeing as we're going back in time that far. That wow. Is, we might get the noose ready for you right now. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> he no, sounds no, pretty no. down about I'm not it. Uh, that, that shouldn't be well, defamation. That should be. <laughs> well, heads, they need to die. <laughs> um, if you could make up your own title, Dan, what would it be? I mean, tonight you're here wearing this beautiful top hat. Thank you. You could be a hatter. I, oh, I probably would go with hatter, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I only wore it because I'm a musician most of the time and I wanted people to take me seriously. <laughs> And a hat is a great medium for radio as well. I think you need to... It's a top hat. Listeners need to know there's nothing serious about that hat. But I was once not wearing... Also, then oh, the poor guy. He's going to be killed for drugs and now his hat doesn't look good. Sorry. Well, I tell you, this will make you feel better. Once someone said to me, hey, nice beret, and I wasn't wearing one. (laughs) (laughs) Gretel, if you could make up a title for your own, for yourself, what would your title be? I'd like to have a little time with God. <laughs> I would. What would you do? What would be your first order of business? Bloody nothing. <laughs> a rational fear. A show that's less on target than Courtney Love. <laughs> a rational fear. There are many distinguished republics that have knights in their honour system. Guatemala, for example. Peru. We are the knights who say... Tony? No, not the knights who say Tony. The same. Who are these? We are the keepers of the sacred words. Tony, Peng, and Niwom. Well, what is it you want? We want... Our bigotry. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Lee.
Well, it's been a great week in politics for the rich and powerful. Uh, freed from the shackles of red tape with the distant promise of knighthood in their future, Australia's elite will walk out of their glassed-walled offices into their weekends. Tomorrow, the waves of Sydney Harbour will seem to wink at them from aboard their yachts. The caviar will seem to glisten from aboard its smoked salmon brioche, and their mistress's visiting hours will seem to sync up perfectly with their wives' tennis lessons, as if the very stars aligned. After Tony Abbott managed to convince the working class that the Liberal Party was on their side at the election, this week he's proved himself to be less blue-collar and more blue-tie, and perhaps even more blue-blooded than even his closest colleagues would have believed. For Australia's serfs and peasants, though, it might seem to them as though the rain has well and truly set in for another four years, as if the protections they receive under law have been swept out from their very feet. My spirit animal, Penny Wong, uh, described the amendments... <laughs> She described the amendments uh, to the sections of the Racial Discrimination Act as a deeply personal debate uh, for people who have experienced racism, a debate that brings back hurtful memories uh, about being marginalised. Now, I myself haven't copped that much racism in my life, mostly because people don't know what type of racist they should be. Um, there was one time, though, uh, a fr my friend's brother described me as a scramblo. Uh, which is a mixture of yellow and white, which I didn't find so much so offensive because, to be fair, I am delicious on toast with a piece of bacon and avocado. <laughs> um, but uh, since he was the only type of persecuted white person that exists, a ranger, I decided I would cut him some slack. <laughs> Uh, someone was racist to me on a bus once, and I know it's not an isolated incident. If you do a YouTube search for racist bus Australia, you get 12,800 results, which is heaps. Uh, <laughs> um, but if there's anything we all know about racists is that they love a good old rant on public transport. <laughs> a bus to a racist is like a Zumba class for your mum. <laughs> A place where they feel free to express themselves, but if you saw it, it's very likely to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, the thing is, though, for your everyday public transport variety racists, these amendments aren't going to make much of a difference to them. No one is going to stop them yelling things on a bus or writing hateful things on Twitter. They don't think about when they're abusing a taxi driver or ranting at a local pub or calling a football player an ape. Oh, I wonder if my rights are going to be protected under 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. No, this legislation wasn't ever going to drive racists underground into some sort of awful speakeasy. Um, plus, we already have them. They're called leagues clubs. <laughs> Uh, this legislation um, doesn't provide protection uh, for racists, it provides protection for rich racists who already have a public platform, uh, particularly litigious ones who don't like being taken to court, whose name I'm not even really allowed to say as an employee of the ABC, uh, because I'll probably have to apologise later. He's like Voldemort. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the CBAA, you can say whatever you want. Oh, really? Yeah. Does everyone else want to say it? <laughs> Just in case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. But I, I do see um, where the government was c coming from. Like, trying to find a present for your friend that already has everything. This week, uh, Tony Abbott was faced with having to get a present for his political supporters that already have everything. 
control of most of the country's media. No, they bought that for themselves last year. Um, how about unrestricted access to the land's natural resources? No, they've got heaps of that already. Oh, what about an aristocratic title? Nice one. That'll go well with the protection from the law so they can ha say hateful things in the media. Perfect. I think they mentioned they wanted that in 2011 after a particular court case. <laughs> but... Uh, I do always think that it's useful to look at the worst case scenario for both sides of the argument. Um, without the proposed changes, freedom of speech could be strangled with, with people being constantly dragged before the courts. Though if you look at the claims made under the Act last year, only 3% of them went to court. Um, the rest of the cases uh, were resolved through reconciliation. And in one instance I read today, a cartoonist who published something that was found to have vilified Aboriginal people, um, his punishment was he had to go and visit Aboriginal communities, hear their stories and teach the children to draw cartoons. What a terrible punishment, you know. But it, it ended up being good because the cartoonist learnt something about another culture and the kids can do a fucking killer caricature of the Chinese now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if it does pass in its current form, uh, proven emotional and psychological harm will just be dismissed as hurt feelings. And in conjunction with defamation laws, that means it's okay to say something racist, but weirdly not okay to call that person a racist. Uh, and when that guy on my bus yelled at me and called me a killer because apparently I did something bad in Nam to him... <laughs> I mean, I did. <laughs> he made me feel powerless and he made me feel small. And I think this legislation um, lets a powerful person uh, make another person feel small. And as a reasonable member of the community, albeit a pretty Chinese one, I stand against it. <laughs> The Attorney-General, George Brandis, on the floor of the Senate today, uh, this week, said um, uh, bigots have rights too, um, which is great. I mean, it's finally great to have an Attorney-General who's saying what we're all finally, thinking. Finally, finally. <laughs> Won't someone think of the bullies? <laughs> They've had it too bad for too long, those bullies, haven't they? they? They really have. Why do bullies need our protection? Dan, why do they need our protection? Because of the crippling unpopularity their bullying causes. <laughs> Pat? Uh, they've been there, I, once, I once broke a bully's nose. Oh, so they bully. What? No, I wasn't. I was. Oh, I've become the bully. You have. Oh, what a twist. 1984 all <laughs> oh, again. Oh, boy. Tell us more. Well, I, actually, actually, now, now Why? I can tell. Why? Walk us through. Tell us what okay, happened. Okay, so I didn't actually break the nose of a bully. I broke the nose of the boy who was trying to get between me and the bully. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. I know. It's, it's so much worse. It was, he was the class captain as well. Um, oh, maybe that's okay. Yeah, he was. He was he, yeah, he, he was stuck up. We all hated him. Uh, <laughs> oh no, that, no, no, still a bully, still a bully. But yeah, this kid was calling me Irish jokes, and because my dad's a very strong Irish nationalist, I get very. Uh, I used to get very worked up about it, so I started going at this guy. Sorry, the insult was Irish nose. No, 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 no. He, he would make Irish jokes. Oh, Irish jokes. Sorry. And uh, and so this guy was making Irish jokes, and the class captain stepped between us, like, guys, guys, there's another way. And I just turned to him and said, David, stay out of it. Punched him in the nose, <laughs> and then and then everything was fine. I was like that. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, cool. There we go. I've broken you someone's nose. You had to nose. punch a, a peacemaking no. bystander. What? You had to punch a peacemaking bystander <laughs> yeah. to yeah. diffuse what, the situation. How old were you? Uh, Twenty-seven. Like, was five. <laughs> I, was, I was ten. I was ten. 
Oh, I like that school captain. Oh. Was he stoned? Guys, guys. What's he doing <laughs> now? What's the school, <laughs> what's the school captain doing now? Uh, I think he's got a very sex, a successful career as a, a mediator. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Industrial relations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gretel, why, why do the bullies need our protection? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. <laughs> I... <laughs> I was walking down the road being very nice to a homeless man and I said hello and he said g'day slag and then I kept on walking and I had to cross quite a difficult road and I realised this man was following me and the cars were oncoming to kill him and I was like a human shield. I protected him, I escorted him to the other side of the road when we reached the other side of the road, he said, thanks, slag. <laughs> Whoa. How's that? Wow. May not be racial, but it hurts. <laughs> Sorry. Sometime... I'll never wear that outfit again. <laughs> Unless you want to pick up some sweet homeless dudes. <laughs> Actually, I am a bit desperate. Yeah. <laughs> now, Brandis is a pretty much a privileged, middle-aged white guy to build a bit of empathy in his life. Um, whose shoes should Brandis walk a mile in, Dan? I don't know, maybe the hipster's shoes. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. hurt so much. Yeah. They're so tight. <laughs> Get a sense of fashion. And, you know, now, under 18D, which is the next section in the Racial Discrimination Act, you can pretty much get away with being racist if you call it artistic purposes. That's how, uh, I, I guess, Nick Giannopoulos has been having a career for so long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And Chris Lilly. Does this mean Andrew Bolt should be applying for an Arts, arts Council grant? I've got the perfect one for him. Yeah. The perfect art form for Andrew Bolt. Mime. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Irrational fear, because in Australia, it's all right to be white. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dan McNamee from Art vs Science. Hello everyone, thanks for listening to us tonight, it's fun to have a rant from time to time and I intend to do that just right now uh, about lockouts. We all know about lockouts and everyone's spoken about them a lot. (laughs) Who needs them? Not me, that's who. And one person who's really excited about the lockout is is Dylan, our DJ here, because he's bought a house in King's Cross. (laughs) It's very quiet now. Values have gone up there, they've skyrocketed. Well, look, I can understand the need for lockouts. Sydney has a drinking problem. King's Cross is a fucking circus. Or at least it was more of a circus until recently, but now it's kind of dead. But before the lockout laws, it wasn't that surprising that it was a circus because everyone went there and there wasn't enough physical room for everyone. So it was kind of like having a party every weekend at the same house, which fits 100 people, but you invite 300 people, and not everyone can fit, but you still keep throwing the same party, and you're not allowed to bring your own booze to this party, you have to buy it inside at a stupidly inflated price. So everyone is drunker than Bill Murray when they rock up because they don't want to pay so much, so they get loaded beforehand, and over half of them can't get into your party, which is pretty much the only party happening because all the other houses aren't allowed to have parties because the government wants to make sure people don't drink too much. Yeah! Therefore, the street is littered with drunk, frustrated people, and therefore they fucking hit each other. (laughs) So how do we fix that? Perhaps we should relax some laws and let more people have house parties so there's enough room for everyone to party, and perhaps all those (laughs) rules about drinking should be relaxed a bit so people don't feel the need to get so drunk before they come to the party. Hang on, it's okay. 
Barry O'Farrell has just asked the police what we should do. Now, the police are great, uh, but when it's boiled down to their essence and the public relations side evaporates and the community presence of those of them, what do you have? Police are essentially good at scaring people and tackling people and finding people, and they are necessary, and I don't want to disrespect them at all, but that's the crux of the social role, an element of fear. So it's stop being trouble or we'll hurt you and take away your money, keep it up, and we'll even put you in a locked box with a bunch of really scary people. Now we have this drinking problem and people are getting king hit by frustrated drunk people. People are dying from this problem and it's really scary because it could happen to anyone. Not unlike the terrorist threat that we don't seem to care about much now that the NSA and CIA are spying on everyone and it's all legal. <laughs> anyway, since police are always cleaning up the filthy mess of people who are all drinked up with nowhere to go, it seems a natural decision to ask them how to fix the problem, right? Right? Right. Wrong. <laughs> If you ask the police how to fix a drinking problem, they'll naturally say, give us more police officers and more tasers and a bigger fine writing book because that's their job. They do it for a living. They clean the shit up. They're, they're there because social policy is failing. We don't ask the city rubbish collectors how to reduce the amount of garbage we're producing as a society. We work it out some other way. So we ask Parliament. Surely they're the right people to ask. How do we fix this horrible problem? And for the love of God, please do something before I get killed. And I guess, and what's Parliament's job? It's making laws. They do it every day for a living. Basically, a law is something which says, you must do something a particular way, otherwise we'll take your money, and if you refuse to give us your money, we'll send people armed with clubs, tasers and guns, actual guns, and they will bring you to a public court and demand that you give us your money, and if you don't give us your money, we'll take away your right to drive your car, and if you still drive your car, we'll lock you in a box with a bunch of scary people. That's what a law is. And some laws are really good. For example, the law that says if you kill someone on purpose, you're definitely getting locked up in the scary box for a long time. And that makes sense, because no one wants to get killed on purpose. But that law's really old. And we're still writing new laws, and with great vigour, so it's no surprise to hear the Parliament's solution to our problem. Dear people of New South Wales, you have asked us for a solution to the drinking problem. We have thought long and hard about it, and we have decided to write some more laws. <laughs> and what nobody's asking is this. Is it possible that we are trying to correct with force and laws a problem that was created by force and laws? Is it possible that alcohol is so jealously guarded from under 18-year-olds that is creating the very drinking culture which we are trying to combat with more police and more rules? As teenagers, we all want to drink, right? Everyone's doing it, it makes us dance better, it dulls the crippling fear of the opposite sex, but we're not allowed to drink anywhere with our friends. We're allowed to drink with our parents, but who wants to do that? Like, at high school on Monday, it's like, hey, what'd you do on the weekend, Frank? And it's, oh, I got really drunk with my mum and dad. So, no. So we somehow acquire a goon sack, then we steal some alcohol from our parents' liquor cabinet and make rocket fuel out of brandy and scotch and other things and drink it all, go to a dark park, park and drink it all until we throw up. We learn to drink very quickly, and to get drunk because in a dark park hidden from society there's literally nothing else to do and the fear of getting caught is always present and that's how we learn to drink alcohol in Australia. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> now imagine applying our current drinking laws to driving. You can imagine the press release now. When it comes to our roads, driving is dangerous especially for young people, because they crash literally all the time. 
We're trying to stop underage kids from driving, but they're still crashing. In fact, young people are taking their parents' cars and driving by themselves and crashing even more. We asked the police to tell us what we should do, and they said to give them more radars and more police, and we did this, and they're still crashing their cars. We, the Parliament, are listening to you, the readers of the Daily Telegraph and Sydney Morning Herald. And to fix the problem of young people crashing their cars, we have decided to put a tax on all cars to make them more expensive so that young people won't be able to afford fast ones. <laughs> we'll, also, we'll also be making a mandatory, mandatory jail term of four years for young people who crash their cars and hurt someone else. Stupid. Though perhaps a bit of a straw man, but you get my point. I've got two more things to say, and I've got to be quick. But my mate Jim who plays in the band, actually, he's a pilot, and he speaks about a phenomenon called pilot-induced turbulence. And that's basically when the plane goes through a, a patch of, like, bumpy air, and the pilot grabs the stick and goes, oh, fuck, and he's, like, wrestling with the plane and trying to get it, he's, like, going this way and that, that way and that, and he's, and he's going, but meanwhile, the bumpy air is about a kilometre behind him, and he's wrestling the plane around, still like that, in the clean air. Our, our New South Wales government is thrashing the stick around trying to get the plane in control and it seems the only surefire way they know how to stop nightlife violence is to stop the nightlife, like in Newcastle. Of course lockouts worked in Newcastle, they fucking stopped people going out. That's why the violence has gone down. On a positive note, at the risk of sounding like a hipster travel wanker, I was in Berlin for a couple of months a couple of years ago. <laughs> In Germany, at age 14, you can drink with your parents. At age 16, you can buy beer and wine on your own. At age 18, you have your full drinking licence. They have no lockout laws. You can buy beer almost anywhere at almost any time. You can buy beer in a club and take it with you out onto the street and drink it on your way to the next club as you ride your bike without a helmet. <laughs> in fact, on the weekends, many clubs just don't shut. When it comes to partying, it seems the only rules are A, don't kill yourself, B, don't be a dickhead. And in the month I was there, I probably went out every night for three weeks, like literally every night, and I saw one scuffle between some English tourists. <laughs> we have a list of rules pertaining to drinking alcohol, which is longer than the Magna Carta, yet we have a fucking circus in Sydney every weekend of idiots who drink quickly and to get drunk. Our hospital wards are self-described war zones, perhaps hyperbolic, and perhaps I'm confounding causation and correlation, but we should compare the amount of laws we have in Sydney with the amount they have in Berlin and compare the nightlife and explain the difference. Thank you. Stand up for me. Stand up for I'm so glad we got a rock star on to tell us what was wrong with our nightlife. It makes your logic makes almost perfect sense. I love those Germans. They're always doing what's right. They're so sensible. Uh, <laughs> I retract that comment. Now, laws, laws everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Is Australia entering a new era of the wowser, Pat McGee? Uh, yeah, there are too many people punching people in an antisocial manner. We need to get people back to punching people in a friendly, responsible way. Yeah, a fist a fist. A fist a fist. 101, mano a mano. Exactly. Do you think wowserism is on the rise, Gretel? Have you seen a trend for this? I think this country is getting embarrassing. Really? Why? Because I think... Seriously, I think we elevate ordinariness to extraordinariness. I think we chop people down because they're different and we think that the tall poppy syndrome is somehow something to be proud of. I think we need to really love our unique individuals and celebrate them. 
Maybe we should give them knighthoods. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for making fun of that earlier. <laughs> oh. Alex Lee, what do you think? Look, uh, I'd like to be angry about it, Dan, but until the government outlaws watching Netflix in bed, then I just can't get mad. <laughs> <laughs> be careful with the TPP. You lazy that, might be a, that might be a thing. <laughs> Now, do you know, guys, another term, wowser, was actually invented in Australia uh, and has been in use for over 100 years. I think 1870 it, it was invented. It was coined. A what co- was its origin? Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think someone... Um, well, research, Dan. It's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, I've read enough. Next Wikipedia article. It's someone being impressed by a, by a knight. Surely it's wow, sir. <laughs> Good pick-up. Gretel, I can tell you this, though. According to the ANU, Wowza is one of Australia's most successful exploits. It's, it's a word that's travelled everywhere. It's actually been a part of the UK and the US lexicon for, for many decades. Do we need a new word? What would that word be? Dan, what do you reckon? I've, I've got no idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pat, what do you reckon? Uh, I reckon uh, O'Farrelling uh, <laughs> would be good. It's like a Wowza, but only uh, within a radius of five kilometres of the CBD. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Now, if you're feeling that the new lockout laws are coming to wrap you up in cotton wool and put you to bed at a reasonable time, don't worry. Sydney, because there is a solution. Lewis Hobber, he's not here right now. He's down in Melbourne at the Cult Comedy Festival. But he has found out a way that there there can be one place in the CBD where wowserism just won't exist. Sydney's Crown Casino in Barangaroo is bound to be Australia's greatest icon. When it opens in 2019, you can forget the Harbour Bridge or the Opera House. Even Uluru will be forgotten like a child's silly old pet rock. And all the government had to do to get it built was give up everything they've worked for faster than a pensioner at a pokey. Because you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs, and you can't build a casino without gaining immunity from a few laws. The O'Farrell government's controversial new lockout laws threaten to kill Sydney's nightlife. The new laws place heavy restrictions on when venues inside a designated zone can sell drinks and when they have to stop letting people in. Venues hated the new laws, but the government fought for them anyway because they believed they addressed a major crisis. There's no way they would ever loosen the law for any venue in the designated zone. Luckily for the Packers, Crown Casino falls far outside the exclusion zone for the proposed laws. How far outside? About six steps. This is part of Sydney's entertainment precinct. Thanks to the new laws, you can't buy a drink from a bottle shop after 10pm. You can't enter a venue after 1.30am or get a drink in any venue after 3am. Which means if you want a drink, well you'll have to travel all the way here to Crown Casino. The Crown Casino is the only place in a wide region that's immune from the lockout laws. That's a fun coincidence, isn't it? It looks like someone just forgot to colour in that spot. I'm sure they'll fix it when they realise. If there's one thing the government would never budge on, it's indoor smoking laws. It took over 30 years to finally get smoking banned in every office, restaurant, pub and indoor area in Australia. The laws protect the health of workers, so there's no way the government would ever, ever Oh wait, this is for a casino. Yep, the government has suspended anti-smoking laws for Crown's VIP area, making it one of the only places you can smoke inside in the country. Other areas include this Crown Casino, this Crown Casino, and these other casinos. Some people were worried about smoking affecting the health of staff, but why would you work at a casino if you weren't already immune to cancer? 
There'll be no one in there but a Russian oligarch and a British secret agent, right? Well, no. To become a VIP at Crown, all you have to do is bet $20 per hand at Blackjack. Make it rain! <laughs> Even though we're happy to let casinos slowly kill humans, the environment, at least, must be safe. Sure, Barry O'Farrell's first decision in office was to abolish the Environment Department, but Crown Casinos love the environment. Look at their Crown Environment website. They hold plants in their hands. So they never want to bypass environmental sustainability restrictions. Well, actually, they do. But the only areas they want exemptions from green energy standards are the ones that will use heaps of energy. You know, because restrictions should only apply in places they won't have any effect. In fact, one reason they claim to need so much energy is to operate the fan systems used to filter out all the cigarette smoke. A spokesperson for the O'Farrell government said that Crown would not be subject to the existing green laws as they were not designed for casinos. This makes sense. Laws shouldn't apply to you unless they were written with you specifically in mind. When the laws against murder were written, lawmakers didn't know I wanted to murder. That's why it's okay that I do it. But who says we need to wait for construction to finish before we start ignoring laws at Barangaroo? Fairfax Media and the ABC have reported that labour used in construction of the casino is being supplied by a well-known crime figure, George Alex, a man alleged to be heavily entwined with bikie gangs and other organised crime networks. But let's not talk about that anymore. I personally endorse Barangaroo and Crown Casino See you at the crap tables. Oh, I said I meant crap tables! Crap tables! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Gretel Colleen! Well, that was a bit violent and unsettling, wasn't it? Well, I'll take a moment. Okay, here's the fact. The older I get, the wiser I get, and the more stupid everyone else becomes. In particular, young people like all of you. <laughs> oh, and also my family, who daily seem determined to prove that blood truly is thicker than water. <laughs> my current personal assistant is both young and my relative. She is the dumbest person I have ever met. <laughs> Last week, she went fishing and used a grape. <laughs> Yesterday, she asked me if I think people with big eyes see more. <laughs> she's not with us, so I can talk about her. I don't mean that she's dead. I mean, she's driving. She sent me a text saying she would be driving here. She'll be a bit late because she's stuck on a roundabout. Literally does not know how to get off it. And I'm not telling her. Basically, I pay her to babysit herself. <laughs> Yesterday, I referred to a journalist whose surname is Longbottom, and I said, if that were your last name, wouldn't you change it by Deepol? And she said, yes, I would change my name to Tidas. <laughs> the worst thing about her is that she's making me hate all of you. I know. Yesterday, it was a busy day. Yesterday, 
I saw this young, attractive couple jogging, jogging together and I used all of my mental powers to try to make one of them trip over. <laughs> this is clearly not acceptable. Obviously, I'm not going to change, so all of you are going to have to. The following are some guidelines that I've written. Now, some of them I wrote when I was young and stupid, like all of you, but I have modified them, all right? So if you could concentrate, make notes if you must. All right? These are just life tips. No man is an island, but lots of people are pigs. <laughs> Avoid those who are selfish, greedy or conceited and try not to get lonely. Planned, this might be a bit too advanced for you guys. Do you have jobs? <laughs> All right. Planned, and you know about how tax works? Yeah. All right, plan to write an autobiography when you get older and then claim your whole life as a tax deduction. <laughs> now, this is important, particularly for you girls. Know when to start a relationship, but more importantly, know when to leave one. Recognise when a relationship has turned to compromise. In my experience, this is when foreplay is stage one rapid eye movement. All right? <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is, do you? Where's the education system gone? All right, you might get this one. Girls, this is for you. Important, write it down. You will never be number one in the life of a man who has a nickname for his willy, okay? <laughs> that is true. Oh, sorry, was that the name of your willy? Jesus, I think that's a bit conceited. All right. Girls, try to start either a political movement or a religion that respects and worships bikini line hair. Nine, do not suffer in silence. Ten, compliment people. It puts them off their guard. Eleven, save time. Judge books by their covers. Twelve, respect your elders. This is the most important one. They deserve respect. No one ever gave them a trophy for just running in the race, like you guys. Tell older people that you appreciate them. Tell them that you admire them and encourage really old people to feel young and alive by having lots of sex with each other. Now, I know this may seem a bit gross to some of you, but one day it will happen to you, all right? I'm just going to give you some upsides to sex when people are older. Not my age, of course. I'm talking, you know, like 150. All right. <laughs> These are just things to throw in when you're talking to your nan. All right? Now, one thing is there's no pressure to perform. You just, because you don't want to hang from anything, trapezes, because you pull your back out. And you don't want to do any of that S&M stuff because your arthritis will stop you being able to undo the knots. So <laughs> you keep it basic. Sex is cheap when you're old because you don't have to go to dinner because, you know, when old people eat, they fart a lot, so forget that one. <laughs> when you're old, there's no fear of your partner secretly videoing you because if you're over 60, you don't know how to use all that newfangled technology anyway. <laughs> when you're old, you can close your eyes and just have a little snooze and people think you're just off an erotica. And you know, really good ones... When you're old, women can be frank and open and honest about what they want. And for the first time in their lives, they can stop faking orgasms. And even better, at the same time, men have to start faking orgasms. <laughs> and lastly, on this little old people rant, 
when you're old and having sex, it is really high... I'll just say that again. Thanks for that punctuation mark. When you're old and having sex, it's highly unlikely that you get pregnant. But if you do, you end up on Today Tonight. Hold that thought. Thank you. A rational fear. A rational fear. I'm happy to have more than enough to eat at home. Some things to think about there. Absolutely. Really good. I think we're all just thinking about our parents having sex now, which is great. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, what are your tips for life, Alex Lee? Well, I remember when I was a kid, my mum had two tips for me. One of them was, um, if you smile, you can get out of any trouble at all. Something which I fully embrace. Yep, you've got a great smile. Yep. <laughs> thanks. Um, and also, uh, if, you wanna, if you're ever sick, or if, you're, if you ever want to get out of something, you always say you've got a headache or a stomachache because there's no way people can tell whether that's true. Oh, I can... You know what's better? Just diarrhoea. <laughs> <laughs> no one will question that. That's true. No one wants you to prove that. I have a family history of diarrhoea. It runs in my genes, so... <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. One of the sharpest brains in Australia, everyone, right here. In primary school. Pat, do you have any tips for life? Uh, Well, after that, I think my only tip for life is uh, do not cross Gretel Colleen. Uh, (laughs) Oh, good Yeah, that's uh, that's my... I want to move further away from her on the couch, to be honest. Really? It's not what your body's saying. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of stupid people, the Australian public are none the wiser with the situation in Manus Island and Nauru. This week, a human rights inquiry into Manus Island was shut down, and subsequently the island's been getting some pretty bad press. Why? Well, because journalists simply aren't allowed to go there. Now, to clear up some misconceptions, we have with us the head of Manus Island's 70-person PR team, Hannah Riley. Hannah, uh, long time no here. Why? Like any good resort here on the island, our residents' privacy is of the utmost importance. Plus, the investigating doctors weren't registered to practice in Papua New Guinea. They only know how to treat Australian bodies, and we're talking about completely different bodies in a totally separate country. And I mean, they're not even the same colour, and that's just not medicine. What about the part of the 1949 Geneva Convention that says those fleeing from conflict must be treated humanely? 1949? Get with it, Dan. We're acting on laws that don't even exist yet. Plus, we are not treating refugees inhumanely. They are called economic migrants who come here exclusively seeking better employment, which is why you see migrants getting all the best jobs. (laughs) Right. Um, How do we know they're not genuine refugees? We know it in the same way that a baby's smile brings us joy or that cows can't walk downstairs in that there is no legislative framework to back it up. (laughs) And they were out at us. Right. right, Well, um, how many have we processed so far? That's that's a tough question, Dan. Why? In that I don't want to answer it. Right. (laughs) Um, It's none, isn't it? Yep. The PNG have also said that, that they, not human rights lawyers, are the best judges in terms of what's happening on the ground. Is that really true? Talk about squeezing the taxpayer dollar, am I right? World leaders and detectives? Excuse me. I guess they have the human right to remain silent. <laughs> Okay, right, right, but, but didn't Abbott defend their robust legal system? 
Yeah, robust like a King's Cross bouncer, and like PNG on the UNHCR Human Rights Treaty, they're not on the list of signatories. <laughs> Hannah Riley, everyone. Yeah. Of course, one of the biggest news stories this week that's been completely hard to avoid, it's, it's the story of the missing flight MH370. It's just so kind of hard to describe... Um, uh, kind of that flight, I really have been really struggling for a metaphor to kind of um, to kind of sum it up. So, 200 people went missing on a plane in the middle of the ocean. Uh, I, I guess I guess we should just kind of take a leaf from the media's playbook. Um, we'll just steal an idea from them. How do they cover it? It's like searching for a needle in a haystack. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. We are looking for a needle in a haystack. It is a needle in a haystack. It is a needle in a haystack. Needle in a haystack. So this is a real needle in a haystack. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. A needle in a haystack. Needle in a haystack. This is a needle in a haystack. It's a needle in a haystack. So talk about looking for a needle in a haystack. <laughs> this has been a needle in a the haystack. They are still looking for a needle in a haystack. Plus they're looking for a needle in a haystack. It's a bit like looking for a needle in a haystack. It's still just a needle in a haystack. Needle in a haystack. This is like hunting for a needle in a haystack or in a, a needle in a group of haystacks. We kind of had the haystacks on Saturday. In thousands of haystacks. This is not just a needle in a haystack. It's a needle in, in, in thousands of fields of haystacks. The haystack has gotten smaller. And now we don't know where the haystack is. It literally is trying to find that needle in a vast haystack. It's like looking for a needle in the haystack, literally. Literally. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat McGee! Dear Cancer, bad news, buddy. Your time has come. It's been a long, hard struggle, but we have finally wiped out cancer from the world entirely. And it's all down to one person, one humble, everyday hero, me. You're probably wondering how I did it. Science? Medicine? The dark arts? No. I took a photo of myself without any makeup on and posted it to Facebook. <laughs> Through doing that, I raised awareness. Before I posted that photo, most people had probably never even heard of cancer. <laughs> now, Johnny Science will tell you that cancer has a wide variety of causes and treatments that doesn't lend itself to a one-size-fits-all approach. His friend, Professor Testube, will have you think that the way to cure cancer is through regular donations of actual cash money. And their buddy, Dr. Bunsen McCatscan, <laughs> thinks that the way to solve it is through a continued commitment by successive governments to fund cancer research institutes. They couldn't be more wrong. Raising awareness is the only way to cure cancer. Because the more people look at cancer, the less deadly it becomes. Like those ghosts in Super Mario 64. <laughs> Just by talking about cancer right now, I'm helping to raise awareness. And I'm making it look both easy and sexy, which is ultimately how I'd like to be remembered. <laughs> this isn't the first time I've changed the world, of course. A few years ago, I shared a video about a robot called Coney 2012, <laughs> who was programmed to kidnap children. As is my understanding, it was as a direct result of me posting that video to Twitter that led to Mr. 2012 being arrested and fired directly into the sun, which, as we know, is the traditional way of deactivating a murderous robot. Am I a hero? <laughs> In many ways, yes. 
in many other ways, also yes. <laughs> it takes a certain kind of bravery to post a photo of my face on the internet. The kind of bravery that I think Leonardo da Vinci displayed when he painted his famous Mona Lisa without makeup to raise awareness of the bubonic plague. <laughs> of course, getting likes was a lot easier in those days because basically everyone lived in the one village, so you could get your message across pretty easily. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I'm a bigger genius than Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> These days, I have to make sure that my message of awareness goes global. If every person in the world liked my photo of myself without makeup, that would be over 200 likes. <laughs> and that's all it takes. A lot of people don't realize how easy it is to change the world. Many of my friends waste their time going to protest marches and volunteering for various organizations. What they don't understand is that they're wasting their and everybody else's time. Every second they spend marching could be spent liking charities on Facebook, <laughs> reposting meaningless platitudes on Tumblr, or helping the authorities find the wreckage of that missing plane by ending all their tweets with a hashtag MH370. <laughs> Plus, a lot of my friends have been members of these organizations, like, like UNICEF or AMNESTY, for several years. <laughs> Which, as we all know, is stupid because most issues, such as cancer or war crimes, clear up after a few days. If they didn't, people would still be talking about them. And they're not. Q-E-D. And that's the story of how I cured you, cancer. The rest of you don't need to thank me, but if you could follow me on Twitter, at Paddy underscore McGee, M-A-G-E-E, or like my fan page on Facebook, maybe we can change the world together, one click at a time. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to put my penis in a sock. <laughs> it's not for any charity in particular. I just really like the feeling of a polycotton blend on my cock. Thank you. Papagee! Damn, son, where'd you find this? Our interview guests tonight are three of the sharpest brains in journalism in the country. They don't have a TV show, they don't have a newspaper column, but their impromptu press conference with the Prime Minister last week turned them into YouTube stars. Please welcome the kids of Newtown High! We've got Kat, Ruby and Poppy here. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Irrational Fear. Uh, first question off the, off the rank is, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> Asking the Prime Minister questions. Seriously, uh, who are you guys? Uh, no, we, let me ask you this. <laughs> How did this impromptu press conference come about? Well, tell, us, tell us the story. What was that like? Well, we were on a cross-curriculum program learning about renewable energy sources like solar power and wind turbines. <laughs> so we were visiting... Things Sears that the government doesn't Road. believe in. Yeah. Yep, yep, good, yep. Things like that. And our teacher, history teacher, decided that because it was the 111th anniversary of Canberra being a city to take us to Parliament House. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was complaining. Everyone oh, was It's whining. got a hill. You can roll down it. Oh, we just didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to go back to Sydney. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well, it was Questacon next. So. Did, did your bus get trapped in a, in a, in a roundabout? Is that what happened? To... No, we wanted to go to Questacon instead, but they dragged us to Parliament House. It wasn't so bad. No, our, we actually met Tony Abbott. Yeah, and so how did that come about? How did you find Tony Abbott? He came to us. 
he, he thought he, he drove past and he was like, oh, wow, there's a really enthusiastic looking group of students. And he came up to us. He's like, hey, guys. And we're all like, oh, hey. Uh, hi. <laughs> yeah, and then that's how it all came about. So he, so he just saw you and thought, oh, here we go. I need yeah. a bit of a break in yeah, my day. Well, it's been really stressful being a prime minister. I might go to see some kids. That might, that might fill me with hope. Yeah, <laughs> and so he was... He kind of got up and he was like, okay, guys, you can ask three questions. Better and photo. Yeah, group photo. And we're all like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you guys asked some pretty curly questions. Give, give, for people who haven't seen the YouTube video, what kind of questions did you ask him? Well, we asked questions about... Um, <laughs> we asked questions about the carbon tax yep. and gay marriage and asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. We asked a lot of questions about asylum seekers. He didn't like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and um, why a man was the minister for women. <laughs> he didn't like that either. No. He didn't like any of them. <laughs> he didn't like any of our questions, no. actually. He, he didn't like them at all, so he didn't answer them. <laughs> Do you guys have a career in journalism in mind? Is this kind of yes. the world? You do, yeah. I do. I take journalism at school. And you take journalism at school? That's a, yeah. They teach journalism in high school? Yeah, a they do. Bit. God, I wish That's I went to That's optimistic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, girls. Do they also teach how to be a blacksmith in high school as well? Is that well, we do, we do do metal tech, actually. <laughs> right. Can I ask the Boom! Girl? Someone give me some water. <laughs> girls, can I ask you, often one of... The great female weaknesses is that we are attracted to power. So when you were near Abbott, what was the vibe? The aura. Was he like a sexual god? Yes. He had this rush. Yes. I just, I saw him coming towards us and I was just like, oh, Tony Dream Abbott. Dream come true. Kiss me, kiss me. Yes. 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 And are any of you going to continue to write to him? And yeah, yeah, I've been trying to send him my, like, sonnets and <laughs> love letters and they're just getting blocked. Yeah, what's that about? I don't know. Like, we, we were writing sonnets in English and I just... It, was, it had to be about love and I just really dedicated my thoughts to Tony Abbott. Yeah. And he just didn't like... He didn't accept them. Don't stop. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to give up. Yeah. If, you, if, if you write them on letterhead, he has to reply to them. Um, <laughs> now, from the footage, it seems that, um, you know, Tony Abbott got pretty annoyed with the chick's questions to the point where he asked for a bloke's question. Yeah. He actually yeah. said, how about a bloke's question? What, what, what did he mean by that? Oh. <laughs> what was he hoping, do you think? A simple question about sports. Well, he actually said... <laughs> <laughs> said, um, how about a bloke's, a bloke's question, what about, what's your favourite football team? And then in reply, he got... Um, asylum Seekers. Oh, yeah, yeah. About Asylum Seekers. You got a question about Tampa, I believe. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll have you know that um, we've made something this week for you guys. Now, oh, we, we found some Aussie blokes. We are some real famous, good Aussie blokes to give the PM their own blokes question. For those listening at home, these are the voices of Ian Chappell, Ian Roberts, John Jarrett and the venerable Sir Superwog. This is Blokes Questions. Why are you so against legalising gay marriage? I'm getting a clear, I'm getting a clear message, alright? Okay, let's have a blokes question. Hey Tony. I've heard that women in detention have got to ask guards 
for tampons. Why do we have to humiliate women in detention? You know, you're a bright little button. I'm sure you can work it out. Under your paid parental leave scheme, fathers are only eligible for two weeks leave out of the 26 on offer. Doesn't that kind of reinforce gender stereotypes and this is fair dinkum, isn't it? Mr. Prime Minister, I'm worried that despite entries closing for your 2014 literary award, you are yet to finalise the judging panel. Given they have to read 150 books in one month and no one has received any books, is this a sign that you intend to scrap Australia's richest literary award? Mr Abbott, for the first time in 83 years, Australia is without a science minister. Does this mean that we're going to struggle to be called the clever country? I'm an avid book reader. Right, simply, what about a bloke marrying a bloke? You can't get any more blokey than that. Hey, Tone, what's with the budgie smugglers? <laughs> I can't wear them, mate. They'd be emu smugglers on me. If you don't give me more books, yeah, something's going to happen. Cause... Hey, just relax, Tony. Relax, shut... If I'm a literate and no, ju no judges come, then someone's going to get around the house. Ready? Hold the steel. Ready? Oh, that was pretty good. Now, we have one more question for you. Why are you guys at a creative performing arts school when no one knows how to hold a camera the right way up? Is that... <laughs> We're all about alternative yeah. kind of... We are. We're Newtown. Good answer. Please thank the journalists from, New York, from Newtown High. Now, before we wrap up, we want to leave with what you should be scared about. Next week, here is Alex Lee with the top three fearsome fears. Uh, next week, Tony Abbott makes it legal to say racist things to your slaves. <laughs> Um, asylum seekers try to read the Racial Discrimination Act, but their hands are too burnt to turn the pages. No, she didn't. And after Gwyneth Paltrow announces her conscious uncoupling from Chris Martin, uh, people reveal they've been consciously uncoupling from her films for years. That's it for Arrest of Fear. Arrest of Fear is produced and hosted by Dan Illick. This episode is written by James Colley, Dave Bluestein, Hannah Riley, uh, Dan Illick. Please thank our panel, Pat McGee, Alex Lee, Dan McNee, Greta Colleen. The guys from Newtown High, DJ Dillabolicum. Big thanks to FBI Radio, Nikita, Giant Dwarf, Peter Slee and Brownie from NPC. Follow us at Irrational Fear and social media. Until next week, remember, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.